Welcome to CooperCast, the Blues Project episode. This is your host, Al's web dude, John Sachs. This episode, Al tells how Danny Kalb called him up to jam with a new band. Al talks about Tommy Flanders and why he later left to form Blood, Sweat, and Tears. Well, the Blues Project is a is an interesting story. To the best of my recollection, started on the phone. And it would have probably have been Danny Kalb, who was the leader, the main guy in it. I knew who he was. I didn't really know him. I didn't know any of them. He called me up out of the blue and uh, asked me if I was interested in jamming with them in somebody's um, apartment. I like stuff like that especially back then. So off I went, and I'm pretty sure that I was the last person in. And we played, and it was um, fun. And I didn't have anything going, I mean, as fun as that. So I said yes and had a good time. And so it, it began, but it began a succession of people's apartments. Flanders was the singer in those early jam sessions? Yeah, but Danny sang also, and um, and then later Steve and I sang. Tommy Flanders didn't last very long, <laughs> but Tommy Tommy was interesting in that I don't know if he even had a place to live, and he had this girlfriend named Maxine. He was a tall guy; she was a short girl, a blonde. She was definitely taking care of him on every level, except then I think they lost a place to live. And so they'd come over for some, for no reason at all. And he would ask if he could take a shower, <laughs> which I found amusing. And, um, but he began, as, as we started to get popular, he began to get troublesome until finally we all started singing, you know, probably two songs a set or something like that. And then we thought, well, he's got to take a hike. And so he did. Actually, we did. <laughs> and then there was this amazing night, like maybe eight years later, when I was uh, coming out of a bar about two in the morning, and I hailed a cab. I got in and I told the guy where I wanted to go. And when I got out and I paid him through his his window as opposed to in the back of the cab. And he said, you don't know who I am, do you? I said, no, I don't think so. And he said, look at my card. You know, the thing that's in a cab with the face and the name. And it was Tommy. And I was very embarrassed because I think by this time I had done very well. And, uh, and he was driving a cab. Not that any one of us wasn't trouble, but he was more trouble because I don't think he had a place to live and I don't think he, he handled his money very well because, you know, none of us had a lot of money and we had to make do, and we did, but right. he didn't. I mean, I know for a fact that nobody else in the band ever drove a cab. Cab was already popular. He played in folk clubs, under his own name, and had a, a very good reputation as a player. Once we had the record out, we had a manager pretty quickly who was, I think, went to school with uh, Danny or somebody like that. And his name was Jeff Chase. So he took care of all the stuff. He got us uh, the record deal. 
he got us a booking agent and he was our manager for a really long time. And then there was a change in management and um, Sid Bernstein managed us for a while. It was a, a gigantic promoter in New York. Like he did the, the Beatles at Shea Stadium. That's a, that's a big gig. You were not by any means strictly a blues band. That's correct. But we did enjoy playing the blues. But then, then we got a little bored. And so everyone started doing their favorites. And then Steve started writing. And he wrote that Steve song. Great title. And I, of course, I had been making a living writing songs. And not a great one. I wrote a lot of stuff. I became the principal writer. You obviously knew that Andy played flute to, to write flute thing. Well, I did that so that he had something to play. He also played in um, Steve's song. He played the intro, and then he would he had the bass on, but he'd play the flute, and then when the changeover came, he'd just put the flute down and play the bass. But the whole beginning of Steve's song was a, a little thing we wrote, a little ensemble piece that had nothing to do with um, Steve's song. We were on the road a lot all over the United States. A lot of them were colleges and the rest were clubs, sometimes auditoriums. Mostly we were the main act and we played, I mean, really all over the place. And and we, we drove, like we'd finish the job and get in the rental car. And then there was a, a thing that attached to the back of the rental car that had the gear in it. And then we drive all night and all day and we get to the next gig and we'd play. And the good thing is we didn't have to pay for a hotel. Can't remember. It's probably in my book. But um, we stayed in some weird towns. Once uh, uh, Roy and I were rooming together. And uh, one morning, like at the crack of dawn, we had the windows open and a, a cow stuck its head in the window and woke us up. <laughs> we could not stop laughing. And I used to know the name of the town because it was like it was in the middle of nowhere. It's probably in the book. And then uh, it was 50-50 whether we'd get in the car and drive or get a hotel room, depending upon how far we had to drive and like that. I'm telling you, we were used to it every night, unless we had a really long drive. And it would take us, you know, 24 hours to get there. You know, (laughs) we weren't the only ones doing it. Everyone did it. If you were more popular than us, then you had a bus. We didn't have a bus. Sometimes we'd fly if the money was right, but the roadie had to drive. And then also you run the risk of stuff being stolen. I had, over the span of my career, I had a lot of stuff stolen. I had a gorgeous acoustic guild guitar that I loved. That was the best thing I ever had. And someone took it out of the dressing room one night. Yeah, I was playing, what was that called? A Farfisa, F-A-R-F-I-S-A. I think it was Italian, and it was a, a fold-up organ, and you had to play it through uh, an amp. So that was the first organ that I bought. And then there would be a honer pianet on top of the organ, so I could play piano stuff. When we did well enough, I got a Hammond organ. But then, you know, that was very heavy, plus the speaker, the Leslie speaker, was very heavy and took up a lot of space. But but we must have been doing well if we could afford to buy a Hammond organ. 65, 
66, two years from me. And then I started Blood, Sweat, and Tears. Well, we know about cats. And Kahlberg, he told me, uh, went off with C-Train. Yeah, he started C-Train, which was a, a pretty terrific band, I thought. I wanted to add horns to the Blues Project, but Danny wouldn't do it. So there, there was a chance I could have done that, but I was turned down. Danny was the leader of the band. When I left the band and, and the, there wasn't Blood, Sweat, and Tears, at the Monterey Pop Festival, I was the assistant stage manager, and they played there, the Blues Project. I think half the band wasn't talking to me, so there was that. So that was an interesting experience. I actually had a, a great time that weekend. I have some amazing photos from that. When I left the Blues Project, we would always get together and play big gigs, you know, like Central Park and like that. We'd get back together and, and just play the stuff we used to play. We did that for, you know, years and years. When we were involved in, all of us were involved in other projects and everything because it was a, a sure moneymaker. This has been CooperCast, the Blues Project episode. Look for more episodes coming up.